Well, we are going to delve into a section of Scripture today that I am very excited to share with you. And um, I've only got a couple weeks and a couple minutes on each week to really talk about this. I told my wife this week, I've just been studying this so much. I, I, just, I, I know I have way too much to share with you today, but we'll get done um, sometime this morning before the p.m. So bear with me, all right? So before we go into it, I'd like to pray, and I want you to pray with me that God would just really challenge our hearts from this book this 3,000-year-old story. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence in our life. You never leave us. You never forsake us. We thank you for that reality, Lord. We ask you now to, to speak to our hearts. Lord, we want, we want to hear from your word. We know that, that we can hear from you. We, we pray that we would. And we ask you, Lord, to just make it evident that, that your word is alive and that we would see that and experience that today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm thankful for the guys that help us run the AV equipment over there. Um, you guys are on your own today because as is fitting, every, mo- every morning when I walk up here, it all just kind of my everything just shuts down. So you're the man today. You can handle it. We're in the book of Ruth this morning, the book of Ruth. So find that in your Bible. Go to the front. Start paging forward. Okay, look for the book of Ruth. You've got the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and then, you go into, and then you go into Joshua, Judges, and then you come to this tiny little book, the book of Ruth. Only four chapters, only four chapters of God's inspired word. This is, a, this is an ancient narrative account. As I already said, 3,000 years ago, this occurred. And I believe we'll be encouraged by, uh, by this book. As a matter of fact, if you recall, I'm amazed if you do, but I actually preached through this book eight years ago at Centerpoint Bible Church. If you remember that, you beat me because I didn't realize that until just a couple days ago, quite honestly. But the reason why I wanted to, to delve into this book again is because this book offers us a, a helpful glimpse at the work of God, at the light of God, when we're in the midst of a dark, dark time. I think that's probably, if I were going to give this sort of a theme, the book of Ruth, it would be just that. When things are dark, God shines brightly. And you're going to see that today in the book of Ruth. And you're going to see God working in ordinary lives. Nothing amazing in the book of Ruth, nothing supernatural, nothing, nothing is going to just wow you with, wow, God parted the Red Sea. Those things aren't in the book of Ruth. It's a very ordinary account of an ordinary life, but an extraordinary God who comes through and shines brightly. I mean, calamity comes in many forms. And, and, and if we could take a moment and just talk about the ways that some of us in this room have experienced calamity, well, we could go on for hours. I mean, it can come, it can come in all kinds of forms and, and manner of, of experience. Calamity can come your way through disease or disaster or even your own personal debt. It can result in Calamity. It can be the loss of a job, the loss of your, of your home, the loss of your husband, and calamity can come your way. It, it, it can be the result of our own actions. It can be the result of where we're at, maybe a challenging career or, or a challenging child, or even for many of us right now, we're feeling this, a challenging culture. We, we can get so sort of overwhelmed, turned over in the wave of everything that's happened in our lives, the calamity that is facing us, that we can grow discouraged. We can grow despaired. We can even consider just quitting. Well, because of that, we need to be reminded of the truths of the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. The main characters in the book of Ruth, the main human characters are all female. Oh, there's an occasional necessary guy who shows up once in a while. But it's really the story of a few women, a few women of God who loved him and who trusted him and were honest about where they were at. And God did. God did miraculous things in the ordinary details of people's lives. See, calamity is pressing and culture at time is pressing. 
But I want us to be encouraged today to see God in the midst of the ordinary. Now, we have to be cautious when we turn back to our Old Testament. I need to take a few minutes and to talk about this. We've got to be cautious when we turn back into our Old Testament. Because when, when, you, when you go back into the Old Testament, you're talking about a different period of time. You're talking about a different, a different people. You're talking about a different promise that God has given It's important. It's very challenging. It's very encouraging for us to look at the Old Testament. But we must be careful. We must be careful. I've got this on the screen for you. We have the same promise maker, but different circumstances. We've got the same promise keeper, but different promises. That's important for us to understand because if you delve into the Old Testament and you aren't careful and you aren't cautious, you will come to wrong conclusions about God. You will come to wrong conclusions about your life. You will come to wrong conclusions about your calamity. So we must understand that. The book of Ruth is written during a very particular time. If you look at verse number one, it'll show the the writer wants us to know that. Look at 1-1 with me. If you're looking for the book of Ruth, in my Bible, it's like page 282, okay? That may or may not help you, but find your way to Ruth, and let's look at 1-1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, we need that before we get into this narrative, before we understand it, I need you to understand an important truth about the book of Ruth, okay? Now, the book of Ruth is taking, this is a true account. This is a true account. This is four generations before King David. This book was read every single year in the Jewish festival calendar. They would gather all of Israel together. They're in Jerusalem. And and the priest and the Levites and others would stand up and they would read these four chapters every year at the festival time. So there's there's, there's a barley festival, there's a wheat festival, whatever they're harvesting, they're in the fall and they would all gather together and publicly read these four chapters. And it says in the book, it says at the very beginning, in the days when the judges ruled. Now, this is part of, this account is taking place during what is often called, I'll just use this term, it'll be familiar to you, I'll explain what it is, the Deuteronomic history. The Deuteronomic history. Here's what that is. God had a special special agreement with the people of Israel. You can read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 7. If you've got got quick fingers, turn there and look at it. Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 to 7, and then jump down to verse 15. I'll tell you what it says. Here was God's agreement with this nation of people, with these descendants of, of Abraham. It was this deal. You obey me, I will bless you. You disobey me, I will curse you. Get that? You obey me, I will bless you. You disobey me, I will curse you. It is laid out clearly in Deuteronomy 28. If you obey God, he will bless your fields. He will bless your womb. He will bless your family. If you obey me, I will bless you, God says. But if you disobey me, I will curse you. I will curse your lands. I will curse the sky. I will curse your womb. I will curse your children. So the book of Judges, all the way through your Gospels, is is relaying to us the Deuteronomic history. It's the history of a people of God living under that agreement. If they obey God, he will bless them. If they disobey God, he will curse them. Ruth is an example of that. Different, different promise. Same promise keeper. You see the warning now? You see the warning? We are no longer under the Deuteronomic history. We are not part of this Mosaic covenant. So we do not need to come to the conclusion that if calamity is coming your way, you've disobeyed God. I I need you to understand that before we go in and look at this calamity. I need you to understand that. If your car broke down last night, it doesn't mean that you disobeyed God. Now it could, okay, it could. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you disobey God. 
If your husband or wife have left you, it doesn't mean that you disobey God. If you were born blind, it doesn't mean that you or your parents disobeyed God. We are no longer under the Mosaic covenant. But these people were. These people were. So we need to understand as we go through this and understand that things are a little different. Okay, let's start into it, shall we? Come with me. Ruth 1.1. We want to see the unseen one in this passage. And it starts out with a triple tragedy. A triple tragedy. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. That means God is my king. And the name of his wife was Naomi. That means beauty or precious. And the names of their two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. Bethlehem means the house of bread. Did you know that? Bethlehem, house of bread. So we've got this family. There's a famine. There's a famine in the land. No rain, no crops. Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, they don't know what to do. You ever been there? You ever been where calamity is coming your way? There's a tragedy happening? This is the first of three that's coming their way. I picture them. You know, maybe they're sitting at the dining room table. Maybe they're laying in their bed at night. They got little Malon and Chilion already in bed asleep. And they're laying there, Elimelech and Naomi. They're saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We have no food. There's going to be no reaping this year. There's no crops. The sky has dried up. The ground is nothing but dust. What are we going to do? Can you, can you understand their pain when the situation you're in is so challenging and you don't know where to turn? You don't know what to do. And so after what I believe probably days or, or out, we don't really know, but I know how human beings are. And as they're wrestling through this, Elimelech says, Let's move to Moab. Moab. Now, you don't know Moab, probably. But let me tell you, Naomi did. Moab was a region just east of the Dead Sea, so they'd be northeast of Bethlehem. It's a fertile area. You see, what happens is you have the Dead Sea there, and so the, the winds blow across the Dead Sea and, and kind, of, kind of bring forth rainstorms, and it's a very fertile land. And so Elimelech says to his wife, Naomi, let's pick up and let's sojourn. That means to travel as a visitor to Moab. They flee to Moab. Now, listen, Moab is not like going to Maryland or going to Virginia or something like that. Moab is the very enemies of God and his people. So this is, this is not a good decision that Elimelech is making. He's going to the land of the Moabites. Let me tell you a little bit about the Moabites. I won't, I won't bore you with too many details, although it's not boring at all. The Moabites were the continuous enemy of Israel. Moab was the son of Lot, and it's through an ancestral relationship, Moab was born. And God cursed all the descendants of Moab because of this sin of Lot. And these people, over centuries later, they, they, they fought against Israel. You remember Balaam? Remember Balaam and Balak and the, the talking mule? Remember that? Okay? Remember that guy? That was, that was a Moabite. Barak was a Moabite asking Balaam to curse Israel. These Moabites come up again and again and again as the enemies of God's people. And so Elimelech makes the decision. He makes the decision to flee directly into the hands of the enemies of God. Now, in Leviticus chapter 26, it talks about that God will bring a famine on the land. You know what God says to do when there's a famine? He doesn't say to flee to Moab. You know what he says? Repent. 
repent. So we start into this first tragedy. There's a famine. So they went to the country of Moab. All right, you stay with me there in verse number two. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. But here comes the second tragedy. Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. How did he die? How did he pass? I believe he's a young man. His boys aren't even of marrying age yet. That puts him 30, 40 years old, right? Maybe even younger. What a tragedy. One day Naomi wakes up, the beautiful one, the precious one, and finds herself a widow. And not just a widow, but with two boys to raise. And not just a widow with two boys to raise on her own, but a widow with two boys to raise on her own, living in the land of Moab. Her mother isn't there. Her sisters aren't there. Her community is not there to support her. She doesn't have the joy of going to the, going to the, the worship area, the tabernacle, and worshiping the Lord. She doesn't have that. She's surrounded by pagan people. She's surrounded by pagan worship. And her husband is gone. She'll never hold his warm hand again. She'll never feel his embrace. She stretches out now by herself in the unknown. But it gets worse. She's got her two sons and one day, they took Moabite wives. No, no, no. The two boys come in to Naomi and say, Mom, meet my future wife. And to her shock, they're Moabites. They're from Moab. No, this can't be. They're pagan. They don't know God. You see the, the overwhelming tragedy that's coming to Naomi. And now they take these women as wives, Orpha and Ruth, and they live there for 10 years. For 10 years. The boys have their wives. And for 10 years, Naomi, she grows to love these girls. And for 10 years, she's watching them. She's trying to see, is there any extension in their stomach? Are there, are there any babies coming along? Is Naomi now an older woman? She's lost her husband. She's afraid she may lose her sons. But maybe God will give me the joy of grandchildren. Maybe. Ten barren years go No little feet running around the yard. No husband to comfort her. No daughter-in-laws who, who understand her relationship with Yahweh. Listen, this is tragic what is happening. Both Malon and Chilion die. So in verse number five, the woman was left without her sons and her husband. Verses one through five, praise the Lord that the Bible doesn't end there. Am I right? But it's real. It's real. This is life. This is, this is moments and periods in our lives where the waves just keep crashing and crashing and crashing. We move. We have famine. We move. My husband dies. I'm surrounded by pagans. They bring home pagan wives. They're barren. They die. I'm alone. I don't know. I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you've experienced tragedy like this, but I think we could all understand it. If, if there was background music playing, let me tell you, it'd be very, very minor at this point, would it not? The story doesn't end there. But there is a triple tragedy. But let's go on now. 
and see the sufferer begins to stagger. Look at verse number six. Then she arose with her daughters. So, her, so, so these daughters-in-law, for 10 years at least, they've known Naomi. At least for 10 years, maybe more. But it was 10 years that they were married and then their husbands passed away. So these, they, they rose, she did, that is, Naomi arose with their daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. Can you imagine that conversation? Naomi says, I can't stay here anymore. There's been nothing but curses for me in this land. There's been nothing but tragedy and calamity. She had been in the, in, in the fields of Moab and heard the Lord have visited his people. And given them food. Oh, the famine had broken. And said, Naomi calls her daughters to herself and she says, Girls, here's what I'm going to do I'm going back to Israel, I'm going back to Bethlehem. But I have a special directive for you. Let's see what it is. She set out from the place, verse 7, where she was with her two daughters in law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. This would be several days of travel, of difficult travel for these three women, an older woman and two widows, as they travel from Moab, now southwest in the direction of Jerusalem, planning to land in Naomi's probably place where she was born of Bethlehem. And as they're going, Naomi now stops. I'm sure she's wrestling. She's got these two girls with her. She's not sure how she's going to take care of herself. How is she going to care for her daughters-in-law? So verse number eight, she says this. Naomi says to her two daughters-in-law, go, return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband, that she kissed them, And they lifted up their voices and they wept. They had mourned together for at least a decade. They they had travailed together for 10 years. They had been through many, many griefs together. And now they, 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 they embrace. And Naomi says, go back. Now, what is she saying here, by the way? I do want to just explain this a little bit of detail. She says, you should go back to your mother's house, to the house of her husband." See, Naomi now is explaining a a part of the culture that's different than ours today. And so we need to take a moment and explain it now. It's it's called a family redeemer, okay? And this is going to seem very strange to you, but just stay with me, okay? Let me explain what Leviticus 18 describes as a family redeemer. See, God has a heart for the widow. God has a heart for the orphan. God has a heart for those that that life has has brought them difficult times. And so here's how God instituted a system to take care of a woman just like Naomi, just like Ruth, just like Orpha. And here's how it would work. If a woman's husband would pass away in any way, shape, or form, if they had not had children, so they're married and maybe as a young man he dies in an accident, dies of an illness, dies of a disease, I don't know, but for some reason the man passes away. Here's God's plan. That widow now will be married, will, will, will be given in marriage to a close family member of her deceased husband. Now it's strange to us, I know, okay, because it just seems so weird to us, but in this culture it made perfect sense. So Naomi is married to Elimelech. Elimelech dies. What's to happen to Naomi? Well, she had two sons, so they're responsible for caring for her. But what if she didn't have any sons? Well, what happened is Elimelech's family would come together. The men of Elimelech's family would come together. And they would look to Elimelech's brother and say, Naomi is in need. You are to take her as your wife. And that was the responsible thing for do. It was, it was the thing he was obligated to do as a man of God. If there was no brother, you would go to the next of kin, the closest of kin. The closest male relative of the deceased husband is responsible to take care of the widow. So back to what's happening here. 
When Naomi says, go back to your mother's house, go back to her husband's home, you know what he's saying? You know what she's saying? Go back and your family should take care of you. Let your family meet your needs. She's staggering. Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Verse number 11. Have I yet sons in my womb that may become your husbands? See what she's saying? I'm not gonna, there's, there's no brothers. There's not going to be a brother to take you as your wife. Have I sons in my womb? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, for it would be exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lift up their voices. They wept again. Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Oh, here's a bit of hope. This is the first taste of hope we've had. You should be like, oh, it's so, it tastes so good. There's a little bit of happiness here. It's been so sad. It's been so tragic. Oh, can you imagine Naomi? As she sends out these two girls and Ruth says, no, I will cling. I will hold. She clings to her mother-in-law. And she said, Naomi that is, says, see your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return. Go. Go, Ruth. Go. It would just be bitter for you to stay here with me. It's just going to be difficult. Go. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you. Now, this is a significant moment in our narrative. What has happened now is now the burden that Naomi has been bearing, the, the burden that Naomi has been carrying is now going to be shouldered by Ruth. And Ruth now is going to step up and demonstrate who she really is. Oh, this, this, this woman, Ruth, listen, she is a tremendous follower of Yahweh. She started out a pagan, a, a false god worshiper. She was a Moabite. And she heard Naomi for at least 10 years talk about this great God of Israel. And what we're going to see now is Ruth has been converted. I don't know if this is the actual moment when Ruth came to an understanding of who God is and putting her, her faith in him, but we will see that she has been converted. And Ruth will now be a follower of Yahweh, and she speaks truth into Naomi's life. Oh, see it here. See it. As, as Ruth begins to bear the burden with her, look, look what happens. Look, as, the, as, as now the, Ruth is going to be comforted by the Lord through this woman, Ruth. Let's just read the whole thing and then explain it. Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. She said no more. Now let's look at what Ruth said. First of all, I think this is, a, this is often held up as, as an, a picture of loyal love. In many ways, husbands and wives can learn from these words of Ruth. Children can learn from, from these words of Ruth. Fathers and mothers can learn from these words words of Ruth. Believers can learn from these words of Ruth, of what it means to be loyal, of what it means to love, of what it means to be steadfastly committed one to another, of what it means when a husband and wife are committed to each other no matter what. It doesn't matter what comes. It doesn't matter what comes our way. It doesn't matter the calamity. It doesn't matter the tragedy. I'm with you and you're with me. We are now one together in flesh. 
And we will remain loyal to one another. Oh, don't you long to have these kind of relationships? Wouldn't you love to have a daughter-in-law that is as faithful as that? Wouldn't you love to have a son-in-law that is as faithful as that? Wouldn't you love to have children that would love God and love you like that? Wouldn't you love to have moms and dads who are that faithful to, to one another and to you? Oh, we long for this. We long for this. But I want to say a word here about Ruth. I want to say a word about Ruth. Can you just... Can you just put yourself in Ruth's sandals? Think about what she's deciding. I mean, you got Ruth and you got Orpha, and they're both standing there, okay? They both love Naomi. They, bo- they both have been with Naomi for at least a decade. They, they've learned who her God is. They, they've learned who she is. They, they, their lives have been intertwined. They, they've experienced death together and struggle together. And now Naomi says to both Ruth and Orpha, go back. And what I find interesting about this is both these individuals, they have all the same information. They have the same Naomi. They've heard the same words. They've seen the same truth. And one says yes to God and the other says no. You have to see the sovereignty of God here. You've, you've got to see the, the providential work of God in a person's heart. We've all seen it in families. We've seen it in churches where there are individuals who hear the same truth and one decides, I will follow Jesus, and the other one says, I don't want anything to do with him. And we wring our hands and we wonder what in the world happened. Listen, we're now, we're now delving into the, the plan of God, and you and I can't understand that. It's not our responsibility to try to understand it. We just be faithful like Naomi was. We just be faithful and tell them about Jesus. We just be faithful and point them to God, and we let him allow things to fall where they do. If Naomi was faithful, and I believe that she was, she should take on no guilt over Orpha. If Naomi pointed Orpha to, to the Lord Yahweh, which I believe that she did, she should never question herself, like, I should have done this, I should have done that, I should have done this, oh, what have I done to Orpha? Guard yourself, parents. Guard yourself, parent-in-laws. Guard yourself, grandparents. Your heart will go places where you will attack the very character of God. This is an area that we are not to enter into. God says, I will work my plan the way I want to. We allow him to do that. But I want you to see what Ruth has decided. It's a conversion experience. Think about what Ruth is being offered. Now, now understand, Naomi is going back to Israel. She says to Ruth, you go back to Moab, the fertile land where, where Ruth's mother lives, where her family is. Naomi says, I'm going to Israel. You just go back to Moab. And now Ruth has a decision. This is her decision. Listen to this. I, I read this this week and it just struck me. Ruth, here's what you can choose between. You get God plus nothing or everything minus God. This is what Ruth is being offered. Naomi says, go back to Moab. And Ruth says, I'm going to Israel. In her heart, she's got to be weighing through this. I'm choosing between the God of Israel and nothing. I get only God and famine and difficulty and no husbands. Or I can have everything. The riches of the world, the riches of Moab, my family, my possessions, another husband, maybe children, but I don't get God. Folks, this is the conversion question for all of us. This is it. This is what it means to follow God or not. 
Salvation is not understanding that Jesus died on some cross sometime long ago, and maybe he came back to life because I heard about it in my sixth grade Sunday school class. That is not salvation. No. Salvation is understanding that I've been given the opportunity, the unique opportunity, the only opportunity to have a relationship with the God of the world. And the only way I can be forgiven, the only way I can be accepted, the only way I can be redeemed is through the finished work of Christ. So I will take Christ and nothing. I come to him as a slave, as a servant, as a beggar, poor in spirit. But I choose him. Oh, the world offers us everything. It offers us everything. You can have every possession that's possible. You can have it all. You can have anything your heart desires. Just give up on Christ. Just live their way, not his. Just follow the culture around you. This is the conversion decision. See, the road is narrow. And Ruth chose the narrow road. What about you? What about you? For a decade, Orpha played the part. For a decade, Orpha heard the words. For a decade, Orpha walked beside Naomi. Oh, but when the God of the universe said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, Orpha said, I can't go there. Ooh, too far for me. You see, the comforter comforts. So one of the things I want us to see today in verses 16 through 18 It's God comforted Naomi with the conversion of Ruth. It it felt It felt like everything was going wrong for Naomi. It felt like God had given up on Naomi. It felt like everything that could go wrong was going wrong. And Naomi, I'm sure, prayed in her heart of hearts, Oh God, don't you hear me? Oh God, are you there? God, are you still alive? Are you somewhere around? And the Lord says, Oh, I'm here. I'm just going to whisper in your ear. And the name of my whisper will be Ruth. And Ruth came alongside and said the words that Naomi heard. And so verse number 19, they go together. Look at this as they bear this burden together. So the two of them, they went on until they came to Bethlehem. Can you imagine that day as they're getting closer? And Naomi now has been gone for a decade. And she's seeing things that are bringing back memories. Remember, her children were born here. She was married here. She met Elimelech here. She sees the place where her and Elimelech fell in love. She sees the place where they were married. She walks by the house maybe where she raised little Malon and she remembers him out in the yard there playing. And her heart is growing heavy. Her heart is growing even heavier as she goes. As she knows what she has lost, she knows the tragedy of her life, but she's pressing on, and she goes to the small town, and the women now, oh, they gather on the streets. And this small, Bethlehem was a small little town, you guys. It's just a little village. I don't know if you ever spent any time in a small town. I was raised in a small town. I remember this young girl came to our school in like eighth grade, Eighth grade. And when she graduated from, from high school, our senior year, you know what we called her still? The new girl. She'd been here since eighth grade. It was still, oh, yeah, it's that new girl. That's what it is to live in a small town. In this small town. Now, Naomi walks down the dusty trail 
And all the women are like, is that Naomi? Is that, is that the precious one, Naomi? Oh, her and Elimelech, they took off. They left us years ago. Oh, look at the beautiful one now. I mean, how have the last 10 years treated Naomi? What happens when a woman cries for 10, 15 years? What happens when a woman, her heart is now embittered? What's that do to her countenance? What's that do to her look? She comes into town and they say, Naomi, is that you? Is this Naomi? She said, don't call me Naomi. You know, it means precious one. It means beautiful one. It means, it means pleasing in your presence is what it means. Don't call me Naomi. Don't. No. Call me Mara. Mara is a Hebrew word. It means bitter. When Moses was in the desert and they came across water and it was bitter, they couldn't drink it. And they said, we'll call this place Mara. And then it says, just call me bitter. That's all I am. I'm, in, I'm bitter. I've been struck by God. Look what she says. Call me bitter for the almighty El Shaddai, she names God here. El Shaddai has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, she says. I went away full, husband, sons, filled with life, filled with vigor, filled with hope, filled with expectation of what God might do. I went away full. And the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me and the El Shaddai has brought calamity upon me. Now let's talk about Naomi here a little bit. She's staggering, folks. But listen, even in her staggering, she has not abandoned God. Job chapter 13, verse number 15. Job says, Though he may slay me, God may slay me, but I'm not going to abandon him. Everything may go against me. Naomi is living this. Everything has gone wrong, but she speaks of God in covenant terms. She calls him Yahweh. She calls him El Shaddai. What does that mean? What does that mean? She believes that God still is her God, still loves her, has not abandoned her. He is the covenant-keeping God. When she says that the Lord has done this, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, he has brought me back empty, what that means is Yahweh. The covenant-keeping God, the ultimate loyal God, he has brought this into my life. He has allowed this calamity in my life. I have experienced tragedy, but I still follow him. I still call him El Shaddai. What does this term El Shaddai mean? I, I wrote down the definition for you out of the theological word dictionary because I wanted you to hear for yourself what this means. El Shaddai is the name that God manifested to the patriarchs, specifically to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Moses. And the context for these references is in the promise-keeping, covenant-keeping nature of God. The promise that God makes for their future. Now listen to this. It is not the hills that these men of faith looked for for confidence, but to the Lord of these hills, the Lord of the mountain where they put their hope. Hope, El Shaddai. Though you may lose your husband, though you may lose your children, though you may lose everything, the God of the universe is still the almighty God up on the mountain where we wait for our help to come from. You know who else calls him the Lord El Shaddai? The very angels you spoke of today, when you sang these words, you said, rejoice, rejoice, and I sang with the angels' voices. Rejoice, rejoice. And you sang, and they cry out, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. You said those words today. You said those words when you sang that song. I want you to notice something about that song that you sang. You didn't thank God for a living husband. 
You didn't thank God. You didn't praise God because you've got a great wife. You didn't praise God because you've got all kinds of children around you who are applauding you and loving you. That's not why you praise God. You praise God for His character. And that does not change. You praise God for who He is and what He's done in your life. Not because your life is easy. You praise God because He is holy, uniquely holy like nobody else. Not because you got good parking places or hit green lights or God blessed your business. Don't prostitute God that way. Don't make God have to earn your praise by wowing you with trinkets. This is not the character of God. We worship God for who He is, not the gifts that He happens to bring our way on that particular day. If you live on that sugar, if you live on the sweet taste of things are going well, so I'll come in today and praise God. If you live on that sugar, when the tragedy comes, because I assure you it will, you will abandon him like Orpha. When you sing songs of praise to God, you're singing because of who God is. And what he has done in your life, saving you from your sin. Why call me Naomi, she says. When the Lord has testified against me, and El Shaddai has brought calamity upon me. So let's, let's finish it here, okay? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem, at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now listen. Every storykeeper worth his weight knows that right before the commercial break, you do some foreshadowing of something that brings you back. They're in Bethlehem. The Moabitess is there. And it's the barley season. Oh, what's going to happen? You have to come back next week to find out. But I want to show you one thing. Let's go and see the rest of the story. Just quickly now. Look at verse number 13. So Boaz, who? You'll find out next week. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Oh, isn't that special? And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception. Oh, 10 barren years at least. And now there's going to be a little baby. And she bore a son. And the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, a nourish of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And listen what the women say now. They said, a son has been born to Naomi. Naomi. It's Ruth's little boy. But to Naomi. And in the end, and I'll have, to, I'll have to save most of this for next week, this little boy that Naomi is holding, he will one day give birth to a son, who will give birth to a son, who will give birth to a son, who will be a shepherd boy. That's pretty good with the sling. And not afraid of bears or lions but will serve King Saul and God will call him the King of Israel and the ancestor of the Lord Jesus. Okay, I'm out of time, but I want to tell you what, to, what you need to think about this week, okay? So let me, let me fill in some blanks for you. There's no blanks. Let's just say these. Oh, that's great. Understand, God is involved in the ordinary details of your life. Yes, he is. He 
is involved in the ordinary details of your life. We'll see that even more next week. God has a plan for you beyond chapter 1. Right? Chapter 1 was tragic. But God has a plan beyond chapter 1. You realize Naomi died and didn't know that her great-grandson would be the king of Israel. You know that, right? She didn't know that until she got to heaven. There are things that God is going to do through you that you're not even going to know what they are you're with him. Isn't that neat to think about? Hmm. Faith has always meant a transition of trust. Don't you miss that? It's always been that way. God brings comfort to you through ordinary people and ordinary things. Oh. But others can't bear with you unless you share. Close with this story, and I know you're, you're being very patient. Thank you. I was talking with this individual one time. She had some tragedy, and she was saying to me as her pastor, it's like God has just abandoned me. He's totally left me. I'm all alone. Where is this God that I've been serving? This is, this is what she's saying to me. And she says, like just last week I was telling my mom about it, and mom was like, oh, you got to keep trusting. But God has abandoned me. And the other day, I was at Walmart, and I saw this person from our church, and I was telling her about it, and the person was saying, listen, you keep going, you keep going, and she was encouraging me. And she said, Pastor, oh, see, they all see it. God has abandoned me. I said, really? God has abandoned you? Seems to me, he sent your mom last week. He sent that lady at Walmart two days ago. And now, he sent me. Be encouraged by the ones that God sends you. What are you waiting on? Oh, it was tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy for Naomi. God brought her Ruth and lifted her up. Is there one you can be a Ruth to? Is there a Ruth in your life and you just need to see it and accept it and praise God for them? Say, well, that seems so ordinary. I'm looking for like, you know, part in Red Seas and mountains splitting open. Well, good luck looking because that's all you're going to ever do. God uses ordinary people like you and like me to bring his comfort to each other. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your care. Lord, this is such a great account of your work in someone's life. We haven't even seen your hand yet, but Naomi did. You haven't spoken in this book, but Naomi heard. Lord, thank you for your presence. Lord, may you encourage us by your word and by each other. May we learn, but more important than that, may we know you and your closeness in these times. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to send this out the same way we, ever, we always do, okay? And so I want you to stand with me.